Hello, and welcome to the Rethink Missions podcast, where we learn from the stories and lessons of cross-cultural servants to the unreached people groups of the world. Welcome to today's episode. Here's your host, Jeremy Wardlaw. So our next guests are from South America, where they did their church plan in South America, and um, they have a lot to share. They've both planted a church, they've trained church planners, they've got a family of five, successfully raised a family of five, Um, and there's just a lot in their story that I've been challenged by and encouraged by, and uh, I kind of want to capture that for myself, but also be able to share that with the Rethink Missions podcast audience, if there is any out there. <laughs> but our yeah, our next guests here are Vern and Holly, and they were church planners in South America. Thank you so much for being here and for uh, letting me hear your story again. Um, maybe, Vern, could you kind of set the stage for us about what it was like moving into the people group you were in and um, where they're at today. Sure, I'd be glad to. And so I still can remember very clearly September 1987 when we first went to um, the South American field, and I can remember landing. I can remember some of the sights, some of the the sounds, the, the smells. And for the next year and a half, my wife Holly and myself would be involved in learning Spanish, and then during that time, we were informed of the location where we were to next move to, to where we were to learn another language, and we were to get involved in the culture study of the P people of this South American country. So it was; these were exciting times for us, and it was exciting then to move into this new context. They were uh, these people lived on the plains of this particular country, and it was a definitely a new experience. We went in there and we built our home, and after three, four months of building our home, we dived into the, the study of the language and the culture uh, just to begin to move toward uh, an opportunity, opportunity to be able to plant the church. Cool. Could you give me a, just a little phrase, a practical expression in their language. So moving in right away, and you're listening to that, and it sounds amazing, but you have no clue what's going on. No clue. Um, I had learned a few practical expressions um, before, but yeah, basically there was no understanding whatsoever. Mm. So where are they today? What What's the situation? Yeah, well, it's sort of a dire situation in some regards politically in this country. But fortunately, after we left a number of years ago, there were, there were believers 
And there were elders, there were leaders, there were pastors, there were teachers. And while we were still there, these people were gathering together in, in one congregation. But due to persecution, due to the, ch- the political challenges that they were facing in this country, um, they no longer were able to meet as a large congregation. And so what they do is it really became or developed into a, a house church um, house church um, like format format yes okay. thank you and and so what we do is we actually have circuit preachers we have circuit teachers who will go around to the different villages now teaching god's word in these different contexts so that's kind of how it's developed and of course we haven't been able to return there for quite a number of years again due to the political situation but from what we're hearing they are they're growing in the Lord in spite of the many challenges that they're facing. Amazing. And these are circuit teachers and leaders that are indigenous from their own people. Exactly. Group. Yeah. And that's the only possibility really in this situation at this point. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, what percentage of the people group do you think would have at least access to the gospel now? This people group is numbered around 7,000 amongst the monolinguals and the bilinguals. And these, there are about 200 believers, and they would have direct access to around 500 people. They're, quite, they're a semi-nomadic group, and they're spread over a large area um, of the savannas of this particular country. And so there isn't a lot of access but uh, 200 believers having access to around 500 others, and we are beginning to work more and more now among the bilinguals. It was always our a part of our strategy while we were there to have a church planted among the bilinguals. And now, after we've all left, there is actually a work starting among with some of our um, some of our national co-workers starting among the bilingual. So. Um, like two churches in among the same people group, one's monolingual and one's bilingual. Exactly. Wow. Okay. And they're able to reach out to their own people group, but there's a lot to be done. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how much reaching out they're doing. They're facing a lot of um, uh, hardships just due to the challenges that they have living within that country. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly how much outreach is happening right at this point, but it's one of the things that we're continuing to trust the Lord for. You mentioned persecution these believers are experiencing. What sort of persecution is it? What kind of things do they experience because they're a believer? Right. Well, because they're a believer, from those who are not yet believing— there's incredible pressure placed on the believers to return to old beliefs. Their belief system, the old belief system, is dependent upon numbers, dependent upon the nation as as a whole um, doing certain things to manipulate the spirits in a certain way. And if there's a decrease in number of people who are... Uh, manipulating and controlling the spirits, this means that their situation, their environment, um, the weather, the provision of food, 
All of these things will become worse and worse and worse. More sickness will happen. Um, food will become more limited. Um, the storms will become worse. Lightning will become worse. The winds will become worse. So there's incredible pressure placed um, on the believers to return to the old beliefs so that the world will get better. So that's one way in which um, there is persecution. Mm. I totally get it. And from someone in that animistic worldview, as you see someone leaving it, there's fewer people to appease spirits. So we got more angry spirits out there. Exactly, yep. That are going to create sickness. And yeah, wow. What a challenge. So how have they faced this challenge? What do they do? Fortunately, there's... Just because of the community of believers, because there are villages that are predominantly believers, they are able to encourage one another. They're able to find encouragement through the Word of God. They're able to find encouragement through the fellowship of believers. And they're able to just withstand these pressures that are coming from uh, the, 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 the folks who are not yet believing. Mm. And so that seems to be pretty key. Community is so important in these contexts. And because there are communities of believers, that makes all the difference. Right. They're not alone. Right. There is a body of believers around them supporting them. Yeah. Well, you weren't just planting a church there. You also had a family and five kids and... Um, maybe Holly, if you don't mind sharing your experience as um, a mom, a teacher, and a church planner all in one, um, what was it like for you moving in day one? And then, you know, what did that end up looking like? Um, I grew up from a large family, in a large family, but uh, we never took vacations, never traveled. So uh, flying to uh, the country that we were working in, that was the first time I was overseas. And again, I'm, I'm not an adventure seeker. I'm a person that always has precaution. And my children say that's caution before it's needed. And so um, <laughs> I, I clearly remember um, taking off um, from Miami to fly down to South America and and uh, the air conditioning had started, and all the steam came out. But I thought the plane was on fire. And I actually <laughs> nudged over to my husband and says, the plane is on fire. And he, he says, well, it doesn't look like anyone else is concerned. Let's wait a few minutes and see what happens. And here it was just the air conditioning. So, again, you're taking somebody. I, I grew up in the city, Chicago. Um, it's not like I was used to, um, you know, nightlife or anything like that. But living so remote was, um, yeah, I'd never, and I'd never been in a situation like that. I'm not a camper. And uh, I can clearly remember when we first moved in, and some of our coworkers had dogs, and um, the dogs would just start barking. And when you come from a city, dogs are barking because, like, people are around or, or they're alerting you to something. And, uh, but dogs just bark at frogs or whatever. So to me, it was it was hard to get used to not having street lights and, and things like that and, and being so remote. Um, there's a lot of things, too. I um, uh, didn't really even know a whole lot about cooking and, and things like that. You, you move to a remote area, and uh, 
you have to do a lot of cooking from scratch uh, just because you can't get things. We'd get supplies in, and at the time, it would be every three months. And so a lot of times our, our flour or uh, rice or noodles would come with bugs in it. And so life was just really hard just even to live to, um, yeah, we'd always have to sift through things, you know, to uh, get the bugs out of things before we made it. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, quite a bit of a different life than, than what I was um, used to. And so, um, yeah, there was huge adjustments. And believe me, like I said, I'm not an adventure seeker. I'm I'm not one of this uh, super amazing people and it's just neat to see where God took me and 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 just how he led me the whole time. I when we were first married, I was trapped in the bathroom because there was a spider. And and it's almost like even really laughable to see the situation that we were in, you know, and but it, again, that's God, you know, just so that you could look back and say, "Yay, God," because it's all of him taking just a really imperfect person and um yeah go overseas there to do that so sorry (laughs) that's exactly how i feel as we head out that man this is impossible i know i have a mirror i know who's in that mirror and i'm going and uh it's neat to hear that story Mm -hmm. um so yeah sifting through flour to what sort of bugs were you dealing with they were like these little black things, but then there would be worms too because worms. My, yeah, because my mother-in-law came once and was making some crepes for the family kind of as a treat. And so she had mixed this stuff up and she didn't realize I had flour that was sifted flour and stuff that wasn't. She put it on the frying pan and all of a sudden this crepe just started moving and wiggling as the worms started getting hotter. And so the whole thing was, was moving. That is so gross. (laughs) Wow. Worms in your crepes. So, I mean, huge adjustment then living isolated, um, having to cook from scratch and, but you also had kids and, and that would have been, you know, what did you end up doing for schooling? With your with your children, um, well, the mission we were with had an MK school, and at that time, it was more the thinking that everyone would just send their kids to this school. Well, um, I started teaching our oldest a little bit of, of kindergarten, but when we were on our first furlough, it ended up that he had a very major heart issue. His heart would just beat; it was beating like two hundred and fifty beats a minute, and so he should have been dead. And so um, when we were on furlough, there was a huge possibility we weren't going to be able to go back. Um, and actually, again, that's just such a yay God story because he went through all this testing. They were going to put a pacemaker in his heart. And um, anyways, his heart withstood all this testing. And so the, the doctor says, we'll just, you know, get it tested every every year, take CPR, um, she didn't even know what to expect because the problem he had was an old person problem. So we were going to go back to Venezuela, and I felt very, very uncomfortable with that, with his heart issue. And I said, God, you're just going to have to give me some kind of sign. It's not like I'm a person that does, does those kind of things, but I had no peace whatsoever to take um, you know, our, our son overseas with a heart condition. So about a month before we were planning on going back, he had all of his heart testing done again. And I still remember being in the hallway talking to the doctor to get these results. 
and she said there is no sign of it. She says this gives me goosebumps because I've never seen this go away. And right before uh, when she had told me this, I told her we had hundreds of people praying. And so to me, I mean, it was just, again, I feel like God almost had that happen just so the doctor, it would be such a testimony to her to see how God works in incredible ways. So that's what actually got us starting to think about homeschooling, um, just realizing she didn't know if the, the heart problem was going to come back, realizing we didn't want our son in a dorm situation and just running around and no one actually kind of keeping good tabs on him with his condition. So uh, that started us homeschooling, but if you know me, and again, it's almost in some ways laughable because I I struggled to read as a kid, so it's not like I'm this super intelligent person. God just uses ordinary people, and so I still can, can remember when I started teaching phonetics, the course that I used, I actually bought a tape to listen to all the sounds to make sure that I was going to be sharing them the right way so that my son would would not have the same issues reading as me. And um, so when I our first son, his name is Caleb, um, learned to read, I almost cried. It was like, thank you, God. It just seemed like such a huge, huge hurdle just to teach your kid to read. And so uh, each each child after that, I mean, God just gave amazing grace and wisdom and each year I'd, I'd go through and, and see the things that the kids had to learn throughout the year and at the end of the year. And it just almost, almost would be overwhelming. Like, God, how are you going to do this? And yet you just keep on plugging away at things. And um, yeah, uh, each year we, we learned and grew together. And the subjects that I didn't like, like science, as a, as a kid, I, I tried to put a lot of extra effort, even learning with the kids, things that I didn't know before. Um, because I wasn't a good student, I, I also tried to make it as enjoyable as possible for our kids. We were in a remote area. Um, there were no other kids that were homeschooling at the time. So I would have, a you know, beginning of the year school party and I would hang up balloons and decorations and I'd make them little cards and we'd have backwards day. We'd have field day and try to make some fun memories along the way too. So, um, yeah, just build into your kids so many different ways so it wasn't just a drag to sit down there and do do um, schoolwork. At the end of the year, I can remember ripping up workbooks, ones that they've used and having a book-burning ceremony, you know, just <laughs> I, just crazy things. But, again, to, to instill some fun memories with your kids and just to learn along the way. And one thing about homeschooling our kids uh, – there's a lot of people that want their kids to go to the best schools, to give their kids the best opportunities. And, you know, here's just me and with books and just different things God provided. We didn't have any huge budget either. We were stretching our, our dollar. And God has opened incredible doors for our kids. There, Our kids are in the professional world, and it's our, our daughter's a nurse practitioner. Here's this little girl who... Um, you know, she used to stand there with a flashlight while her dad, you know, would, would dig things out of people's feet and uh, God did not, um, or just being overseas. It's not like it closed the door. It, it opened far more opportunities for our kids. Uh, our daughter who got into being a nurse practitioner, it was very, very competitive. And yet, um, she could pull in a lot of her cross-cultural things 
uh, in her application that that make made her more marketable. And so even with that, it's just neat to see, um, you know, us as a family just plugging away there and just see how God is using our kids, each one of them in, in, in different professions. And uh, sure, lots of challenges, but, uh, you know, they're trying to be a light where they are. And it's just, again, just so cool that, um, you know, no opportunities really were shut up or the doors weren't shut just because we were in this dinky remote location without without all the opportunities. Um, when you're walking with God, it's just anything is impossible. Anything is possible. Mm. I've heard it said some people won't go to the field because they'll say, well, I love my kids too much to put them through that or to take them to the field. And, I mean, that the assumption is that going over is somehow subtracting from their life or their experience. And that's just not necessarily true, that you can have a full life, a full childhood, and um, in the end be set up for an adult life, even if it were back in North America in a really good way. And, yeah. I mean, you, you're experiencing that on the back end. Mm-hmm. That's pretty neat. Mm. Yeah. Do you have any lessons or, or thoughts you would like to share? Imagine someone out there who's um, sort of in the thick of homeschooling um, and church planting. Anything you want to pass on, you know, about how to balance that? Well, as far as the homeschooling, um, for us, we were very remote and at the time there wasn't even the internet. I know that sounds kind of crazy now, uh, but there was no Pinterest. Um, none of these, I'm not an art person. It's not like I had all of these amazing things that, that I was doing. Um, but again, God wants to use the simple things of this world. Um, um, and you can be a person that, that does every craft and does every this or that, but there's no formula to making this work. I mean, to us, it's the grace of God. Each one of our kids is walking with the Lord, um, has a spouse that's walking with the Lord, and it's just so yay God. Um, I, I think when I was younger, I, I felt like maybe there was, oh, if you do this and this and this, then your kids are going to gonna turn out and walk with the Lord. And even when you're on the mission field, you know, you you do the best job you can with your kids but if you're going to be this person that, that thinks there's a perfect formula, it's not. You know, every day, you know, God's mercies are new every day for you. Um, uh, getting back to the homeschooling, there's just so many um, options out there. But um, if you are the person who's just going to want to try to get the latest of everything and just cram information in your kids, I mean, that's not going to be what, what works either. Um, your kids are going to have a life. And uh, we tried to spur on our kids' interests. Um, like I said, our one daughter who, who got an interest in medical things because she helped her dad. You know, she's a nurse now. My oldest son, um, when he was a teenager, he had an interest in Hebrew. And so we, we had one of his aunts send us uh, a Hebrew course. It was just on CD at the time. And right now, he's in a master's program with ancient biblical languages. And it's just cool to, you know, how we tried to 
to um, flame that fire of little things that we saw that our kids were interested in, um, you know, because our kids are not these like little robots or cookie cutter things. They're all going to have their own personalities. Uh, we have one son who just loved animals. And so I don't, I don't like anything that's like a rodent. Well, he had, I don't know how many hamsters. He had snowball and, and fluff ball and all these different things. But again, it was just, it was a pet and he had a Tweety bird and, and, and just all these things that he enjoyed, you know? And so we became animal lovers because he was an animal lover, you know? Um, we're always through our life trying to see how we can love on our kids. And so how it would look for every kid is going to be different. But again, being able to see their unique personalities and, and, you know, how, what can you do to, to love on them and, and, you know, guide them and, and spur them on. I was just going to say that as I listen to Holly sharing here, it, it brings tears to my eyes as I think of, as I reflect on, all of the incredible miracles we've witnessed, not only in, in, in regards to seeing a church established among this remote people group, that's a yay God story, but also in terms of our lives and in terms of our children's lives and being able to see the way God has provided in terms of education. And now as we look back and we see, you know, we're empty nesters now and we see our, our kids thriving in, in a number of different areas. It's just all tremendous miracles that we've been able to witness and we are able to see God, as it were, opening up the Red Sea for us over and over and over again in so many different ways. And so what a, what a joy to walk with the Lord and experience um, these tremendous things. Mm-hmm. I was also going to say... Um... We would, I, I clearly remember sitting at our porch, and, and most of the people we work with, they could carry everything they own on their back. And to me, it was just so cool to raise kids in that kind of a culture and, and just be able to see what really is important in life. Here in North America, we just have, we're so overblessed that, that we sometimes can't even, aren't even thankful for just how a blessed people we are. And, uh, to be able to raise kids, to be able to, to see what's really important, and uh, just to, to see that worldview, I don't know, it was just really, really cool for us. Mm. So you said it's a miracle, the the family to be in a spot where, wow, look at the blessing that God's brought on us as a family, and our kids are doing well mm-hmm. back in North America. And the church plant, that's a miracle too. Um, what are some things you'd like to pass on, um, maybe specifically to the one that the church planner who's seeing a church go from a baby church to a a maturing church, Mm -hmm. um, any lessons in that, in that transition from a young baby church onto, they're kind of standing on their own two feet. As I reflect on that, I can remember sitting down with our leaders in our church. So in the indigenous church there in South America, we had believers and we were plant the church was planted and we were developing leadership. And I can just remember spending a lot of time in Acts chapter twenty 
where if you'll remember, Paul is going and meeting together with the with the with the elders there at Ephesus. And he's just sharing his heart with them. And he knows his time is coming to an end. He he bids farewell to them with tears, knowing that you know he'll never see them again. And he, but he shares some very, very important things, and you can just see his heart as of, of a of a church planter, just oozing with love and care. But he tells those um, elders, you know, um, to to keep on not only preaching the message of the Lord Jesus Christ publicly, but also from house to house. And my encouragement to those who are in this time of seeing a church not only planted, but then are in this stage of developing a church, don't only just teach from the pulpit, so to speak, but connect with your people group, going to their places, going from house to house, following the example that Paul gave, um, because it's so important to know the flock. In order to care for the flock, you got to know them. And it's easy at this point in time to begin to focus on things like translation, things like curriculum development. And leading up to this point in your CLA and during your time of culture and language acquisition, you're, uh, you're spending a lot of time with them. But then when you get to this stage, it's often easy to neglect that. So my encouragement is keep hanging out, keep um, proclaiming and teaching, not only publicly, and from the pulpit, so to speak, but hanging out with them, going to house to house, being with them, encouraging them, continuing to know their situation. That's what discipleship looks like. And and so that would be my challenge to you. Mm. And that seems like they're taking on what what you passed on, what you, I mean, they're going from not necessarily house to house, but from small group to small group. And and they're continuing that model. Yes. Yeah. So what were some, obviously you're still writing lessons. Um, someone's still working on translation. How did you balance, you know, going, you could spend all day going house to house every day. Um, but you could also spend all day writing lessons. So how, what was a balance that you found right. worked for you? Well, the beauty of that is found in the team. And so as a team, we developed a strategy, we developed a plan to where there were those who would focus more time on curriculum development and on translation. And there were others who were able to have more free time to be able to connect house to house. So that's where where a plurality of leadership or a team working together can cover the bases because it is really, really difficult for one person to pull this all off and do it all very well. Mm-hmm. Whereas a team working together uh, can pull this pull this off. So in your situation, you had you had someone devoted to kind of going house to house Monday through Saturday. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming. And just connecting, discipling, teaching. Right. So, yeah, we had someone who was focusing a lot of attention on the curriculum and on translation. And the the curriculum load was shared. And then uh, there was others who were involved in in making um, time every day. It wouldn't be all day, but a couple of hours every day was given to visiting um, 
the sick or just, you know, hanging out with going on, going fishing or just hanging out with them in their villages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is so intuitive for someone who likes to do that. Right. um, To go and visit. But uh, for someone who likes to stay in the office and get their work done, that could be difficult, right? right? To block out that time. Yeah. Any other thoughts and lessons on, you know, seeing it go from baby church to maturing church? I guess just, uh, I'm not sure if I'm really answering your question really well here, but one of the lessons that I learned in the context of this journey, entering into this people group, learning the culture, the language, taking on the responsibilities of being a leader in this church, the responsibilities of teaching, counseling, shepherding, getting to know the flock. All of these things uh, were, were continued to mount up. And there came a time in my life in this journey where there really became... I felt like I was carrying this this weight of of impossibility, this weight of a task that I just couldn't do because I'm supposed to be a, a father, I'm supposed to be a um husband, I'm supposed to be a church leader, work supposed to be, you know, living this Christian life with this team and and have all of these responsibilities and all the pressures of the work and coming to a place where you realize, man, I just I can't pull this off, God. This is just too much for me to handle. And it was this was a, a journey that happened over quite a number of months. And I was quite discouraged and I just was crying out to the Lord. I says, I can't do this. Can't do it. And it's like the Lord sort of smacked me and says, Of course you can't. I never expected you to. And it was a lesson in living totally dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be my life, to be my strength, to be all that I need for this journey. Because I was really trying to do it in my own strength. I was trying to do it with my own abilities outside of dependence upon God. And although I'd been taught that, um, some of these things you just sort of forget or you neglect or you don't continue to build on. And and so I had come to a place where I was ready to quit. But here in this context, you know, it was a good, tremendously good learning time for me to realize again, with God, all things are possible. And even in the midst of what seemed like an impossible task, as I walk with him, as I live my life in dependence on him, where I find him to be my life, him to be my strength, all things are possible. And that was just a tremendous reminder that I had to come to once again in my missionary journey. Mm. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Are there any other final lessons, stuff you want to pass on to the next generation of church planners or missions-minded believers? I uh, was, when Vern was talking uh, uh, 
you know, just some of the things that God had taught him early on when we, when we got to the field, um, uh, we, we ended up arriving in, in September and that first Christmas, everything was just so fun and exciting to see how this new, uh, group of people, um, celebrated Christmas. But, uh, by the next year that had worn off. So our second Christmas in this country, we were still in a, in a city at the time, um, we had our third child by then, so he was just about five months old. And I, I remember as soon as uh, December started, just feeling very, very homesick and feeling like my my baby should be celebrating his first Christmas with relatives. And um, I just was really weepy. And after a few days, God really had gotten a hold of my heart and really had challenged me, like, is this what you want your kids to remember that, you know, every time there's holiday, oh, mom, she's going to be weepy and depressed. And um, anyways, it was just a really good thing that God brought me to as a young mom um, to, again, where is my dependence? And maybe all of these fun things that I did as a kid or with our family back home, I was in a new phase of life. And it's hard when you have little kids, you know, when you're starting to just start those tra uh, traditions of what you're going to do. Uh, but I, I realized my attitude was was needed to be changed. And it's just neat to see how through all those years, the different um, things. I mean, I look back at our family time and those times on the field were our best memories. Well, now at our phase of life where all of our kids are gone and empty nesters, I, I find that God is bringing me back to those same things. Um, sometimes you want to look back at all those great times instead of looking ahead to all the amazing things that God has yet for you. And there was another, uh, when we were in, in uh, studying Spanish, um, I can remember uh, Vern was in the, the uh, village building our house. So I was there with three little kids and... Um, I started getting very dissatisfied and very discontent. And, and there was a, a few other missionary families around. And I kept on thinking about how they should come over. They should invite me over for a meal or they should do this or that. And um, I, I can remember sitting there with my Bible, going through the word of God, trying to figure it, trying to justify my attitude on how people should be loving me. And, uh, it was such a eye-opening thing for me as a young missionary just to see my only responsibility was how I needed to love and how I needed to give. And that's been a lesson that has uh, God has brought me back to so many times because when we're going through something, a lot of times we can look, again, how other people should be meeting our needs instead of what does God have for us. God is walking with us on this journey and, and again, um, how he wants us to continue to love and invest in other people, uh, no matter what we're, we're going through in ourselves. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, yeah, thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot behind this, right? Because for me, I've known you for a long time and you've, this is uh, an hour episode <laughs> on a podcast, but there's a lot behind this. 
Right. You know, um, it was interesting because um, a few years ago, uh, when my daughter was was uh, dating her now husband, uh, we had been at a family function and we're in a very nice home. And and he happened to say, "Boy, don't your don't your parents kind of wish maybe they had some of this?" And she was able to wholeheartedly say, "No, they wouldn't trade their life for anything." And we 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 wouldn't. Uh, if if anything, I look back at at the different times that um, I wasn't walking to the Lord with the Lord like I should have, or been as gracious as I should have, or as loving. And you look back and wish you you could have done some of those things differently. But I just thank you for what God did teach us and the opportunity He gave us to be a part of just um, really a miracle. And um, with the people group that we're involved with about three years ago. Uh, there was a Bible dedication, and uh, we went back there for that. And you think of all the things in life that you could experience and all the things you want off your bucket list. And I turned to my husband after that experience of, of being down there and dedicating the Bible. I just said, I, if nothing else happens in life, I have lived a rich life and a full life. And, um, yeah, nothing else that, that I could ever look back on that I would have wanted to do different. Hmm. Thank you guys. And for all those out there listening, <laughs> we love you and we're praying for you. If you're in the trenches, keep going. He uses regular people like us. And if you're a missions minded believer thinking about where you want to dedicate your life, consider what Holly just said. We love you and praying for you. You've been listening to the Rethink Missions podcast. For more information and episodes, go to wmissions.com. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review and subscribe.